Are you ready for the word? If you're taking notes this morning, I'm sure you've learned by now that's how you get into heaven. It's taking notes during the preaching. You can write this down. I have one title for our conversation today. I know normally we have more than one, but it's just one today. You can write this down. It's, it is titled, This is the Way. This is the way. I was made aware this is a cross-reference for Mandalorian that was not on purpose. But for all you Star Wars fans, you're welcome. This is the way. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, especially if you're an introvert, and say, hey, this is the way. Turn to your other neighbor that you just ignored and say, hey, this is, this is the way. We're going to read some scripture. This is the plan today. I'm going to give you the plan. We're going to read some scripture. We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to read some more scripture. And then we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to have some Italian ice cream. Or Italian ice. I don't know what it is, but it's good. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17. We're going to jump into these letters that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. We're going to give some context in a moment, but, but the audience of, of this verse we're about to read is the Corinthian church. Paul says this, for, for this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. Paul is sending Timothy, we, we find out later, to, to teach the Corinthian church because they're, they're in some trouble. But I love, this is just a little golden nugget that Paul puts in here. I love that the qualification that, that the only qualification that Paul gives the Corinthian church, and he reminds us today of why he's sending Timothy to teach. He says, he, 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 said, he does not say, I'm sending Timothy because he's gifted. And I'm sending Timothy because he's, he's got charisma. And I'm sending, sending Timothy because he's good looking. And I'm sending Timothy because he seems cool in, in, in the culture of, of Christianity. I love that the only qualification that Paul gives, I'm sending Timothy because he is faithful in the Lord. Paul says this, he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. He's going to remind you of the way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere and in every church. Paul is, is telling the Corinthian church, hey guys, I'm sending you, Timothy, to remind you of the way. This Christian life is not just a nice idea, but it is a new way of doing things. It is a way. The early church, they were considered, they weren't, they weren't just called disciples, they were considered and they were called followers of the way. Jesus is the truth and the life, yes, but he is also the way. We don't just believe in him, but we follow him and we follow his ways. They were called followers of the way from a religious perspective because they were no longer serving the way of earning their salvation following enough laws and, and maybe they could get to heaven, but the way is Jesus made a way where there was no way. And I no longer follow a law for merit because Jesus fulfilled the law. So now by his grace, it empowers me and it compels me to live out the word of God, to live out the law of God, to follow Jesus who is the way. From a cultural perspective, they were called followers of the way because they are no longer living the way of the world. Not just living for myself anymore, fulfilling my desires, but it is now the way of Jesus. I deny myself 
and I die to myself for the sake of the one who died for me so that I could be saved from myself and my, my sin and I am now no longer fulfilled in the pleasures of the world but I find fulfillment in Christ Jesus. This is the way. There is the way of the world, church, make no mistake, there is the way of the world and there is the way of Jesus. And they are two different things. There is the way of the world and there is the way of Jesus. There is a kingdom way of doing things. And there is a redeemed way of doing things. This, this is the way. Today we're going to look at a moment in scripture where one of the churches, the Corinthian church, has lost its, its way. And Paul is going to address some issues. Why? Because the church back then and the church today isn't perfect. Say, why isn't the church perfect? Because I'm here. Why isn't the church perfect? Because you're here. Because we are a part of the church. One of my favorite quotes from Nathan Finocchio, he's been with us before, he's going to be with us again at Wave Conference in October. I love what he says. He says, hey, Jesus just reminds churches, hey guys, don't forget, church doesn't suck, people suck. Isn't that true? Don't, don't associate people's badness with Jesus and his church being bad. So the Corinthian church, they've made some wrong turns from the way of Jesus. They've, they've lost their way. And in many ways, I can see myself in the Corinthian church. And in many ways, I would suggest the modern church can see itself in the Corinthian church because they have gone from following the way to following their own way. The Corinthian church, they are off track. And this is because they're there are false teachers that have infiltrated, infiltrated the church and, and they are trying to undermine the apostolic leadership of Paul. And they are trying to teach other ways from the way of Jesus. The Corinthian church, they've lost their way because of unchecked and unrepentant sin running rampant in the church. You ever been there? It's just me. There is division, there is conflict. They have lost their sight of the mission of why they exist as the church. And it's with this in mind, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, which I believe is also helpful and needed for us today. Second Corinthians chapter five. Verse 11, Paul says this. Keep in mind, he's writing this letter and in a sense, he's writing it from the place of defending his own apostolic leadership. He's writing it from a place of defending the gospel. He's writing it from a place of reminding the church and de defending the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way of Jesus. Paul says this, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, I love this, we persuade others. Why? Because eternity matters. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Paul is, is giving some clarity, some good teaching. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. I love this. Paul reminds the church, hey, if I was ever considered crazy, it was for the sake of the gospel. If you're, going to live, if you're going to live out this Christian life, there will be times when the world considers you crazy. There's going to be times when the church considers you crazy. Can I get an amen? 
Paul says, if we are in our right mind, it was for you. If we were ever serious, it was for your sake. Verse 14, for the love of Christ, catch this, church. Paul's reminding the, the, the Corinthian church, hey, it's for the love of Christ that controls us. Because we have concluded this, that no one, that one, Jesus, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might, not, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul reminds the Corinthian church, hey, this way of Jesus is no longer about you. We don't live for us, ourselves, me, myself, and I anymore. We live live for Jesus. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Paul's reminded the Corinthian church, we don't see people and we don't view people the way that we used to. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I know this is a lot of, a lot of verses. We got like three more, we're done, I promise. Is that okay? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Anybody thankful that God doesn't count your trespasses against you? Because if he did, I would have no hope. Oh, I am so aware that if God counted my trespasses against me, I would have no hope. But it is the good news and the grace of this gospel that God looks and doesn't see my trespasses, but he sees the grace and the love of Jesus. That's good news. And Paul is reminding the church. And he says this, this is challenging, and entrusting to us the message It is a message for the world of reconciliation. The fact that God has reconciled us back to him. Verse 20, two more verses and then we're done, I promise. And then we're gonna talk a little bit. Therefore, we are, this is challenging for me, ambassadors for Christ. Watch this, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Paul speaking to the church. This is what he's saying to the church who's lost their way. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Why don't we pray? Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, we thank you. We thank you for the good news of this gospel, that you are building your church. And we worship you today. We lift up your name, and we thank you that your presence is here. Holy Spirit of God, I thank you that you are aware of every human heart that is in this room and that you want to speak to every one of us. God, personally, I need your grace, your power, your authority, your anointing. 
God, I am aware that I am nothing without you. I need your help today. And God, we just pray for a miracle for the New York Mets organization. Everybody said. Everybody said. It's getting worse. I don't know if you've ever been lost before, but I have. Almost every single week, I get lost. There are those in life who somehow, I don't know where they get this power from, I, I, I almost don't trust it fully. No matter where you place them, they could have never been there before. You could throw them in the middle of the woods and somehow they know where they are. Somehow they have this sense of direction to go where they need to go. And then there's another group of people, I call them normal people. <laughs> who, if you place them somewhere, maybe they've been there before and they can, they can remember and they can get maybe a sen some sort of sense of direction and they can find their way. And then there's also a group of people where if it's not for five bars of service and specific directions from a GPS, they will not survive another three hours on this earth. And that is me. I am still, I am still befuddled with people that just know where north, south, east, or west is. You ask them, where's north? And they just point. It's like they just know. Say, well, Josh, it's, you know, where the sun is or where the beach is. Yeah, but how do you just know where the beach is? I think you've been watching too much Harry Potter. That's what I think. <laughs> the only way that I could figure out where north is is if Santa flies over my head and leans over his sleigh, says, Josh, two things. What, Santa? One, I'm real. I knew it. <laughs> two, I'm on my way home. And as Santa flies off in the distance with a tear in my eye, I could tell you then and only then, that's where North is. <laughs> I don't know how my GPS doesn't have an attitude with me. I am surprised it does not make fun of me when I get into the, to, to the car. If Waze apps have staff meetings, mine goes back to a staff meeting, tells everybody, you wouldn't believe the idiot that I have to deal with. When I get into the car, oh, here's Gypsy Josh, where is he gonna go today? So I'm not a gypsy, I just don't know how to go to where I need to go. Here's Josh putting in the address to the grocery store that he goes to every single week. I know, but I just, I get lost. I don't know where I'm going. Josh, it's not a left, it's a right. Hey, dum-dum, you gotta do a U-turn. You are going, you're going the wrong way. And it's almost like there's this tension where I know that I'm about to be lost. And I think my GPS waits until the very last second to tell me that I'm lost. And then there is the scariest place on earth for me. I call it the twilight zone. It's when I lose service on my phone. Because I don't know if my GPS still knows where we're going or I'm lost and I don't, I don't know that I'm lost yet. It's not a good place to be when you don't know you're lost. And this is where the Corinthian church finds themselves. And Paul is pleading to the Corinthian church, a church that doesn't even realize how lost that they are. 
that they've lost their way, the Corinthian church that Paul has sacrificed everything for, that he has given everything for, that he cares for, that he loves for, that he prays for, and Paul is pleading and he's exclaiming to the Corinthian church, guys, church, you've lost your way. You are going the wrong way. You are no longer following the way of Jesus. You, you've taken a wrong turn and you, you, need, to, you need to turn back this this is the way. And much like the Corinthian church, I have found in my life, and, and maybe today there are those of us and there's some areas where we have lost, lost our way. And we need to turn back. A couple of things we're going to pull from this scripture where Paul gives some clarity again to the church of what is the way of Jesus. I've got three, there are more, but I'm trying to preach shorter because I'm taking too long. So we're going to have a go. Is that okay? First thing that Paul tells the Corinthian church, he reminds them, hey, hey guys, followers of the way, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Followers of the way are controlled by the love of Christ. He is saying this because the Corinthian church has been controlled by anything but the love of Christ. Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us. Church, I wonder, contemplate this question, what controls me? What controls us? I mean, think about that. What, what really controls you? What controls your thoughts, your decisions? Because we're all controlled by something. Does the love of Christ control us? This is challenging to me because how often I find myself and the love of Christ is not controlling me. Maybe the most effective way to test how the love of Christ is controlling, controlling me is how I view people. Maybe the greatest indicator is if the love of Christ is controlling me is how I view people. Because one thing the love of Christ does, it changes the way that I see people. It keeps me from seeing the worst and from condemning, and it compels me to see people how Jesus sees people. It helps me to see the best. It helps me to see the gold that is in everybody. It helps me to see people as lost sheep just like me, made in the image of Christ, followers of the way. They see people the way that Jesus sees people. Church, when we see people, when we go to work and in our neighborhood and we go to the voting booth, what do we see? Brooke and I recently, we, for the first time a couple years ago, we got a smart TV. And man, we didn't realize what we were missing out on. We didn't have to have 13 different devices attached to the TV. It's all just somehow inside the TV. And when we had the smart TV installed, the, the guy that installed it showed me that there's different viewing options and, and settings of how you can watch the TV. There's like a sport mode for watching sports, which I'm like, well, that's, that's the only mode that will be in this household. <laughs> you can adjust the brightness, and I don't know if any of, anybody else has this conflict in their marriage, but you can adjust the volume default setting because I need it at volume 80 but Brooke somehow only needs it at 20 I don't know how 
She has that supersonic hearing. And so now every time I turn on the TV, it has a new default viewing setting. Before I encountered Christ, I had a default setting of how I view people. And after I encountered the love of Christ, he adjusts my settings of how I view people. And so I wonder, church, have we allowed Jesus to adjust your default setting of how you view, view people? Or maybe you're like me, and sometimes we can slip back into the old default setting of how we used to see people before we encountered the love of Jesus. Church, how do we see people? Is our default to judge and to condemn, or is our default first the love of Christ? Can I get an amen? amen? Church, we are in the middle of our summer offensive. You may say, I don't even know what that is. Uh, in the summer months as a church, we believe that, that yes, we're going to have fun, and, and yes, we're going to take vacations, because you need a vacation. Can I get an amen? You deserve a vacation. But during the summer months as a church, we are going to continue to move forward. We're not just going to coast through the summer months, and we're going to believe that we're going to take new ground over these summer months, and we believe that our friends and our families, our communities, they're going to encounter the love of Christ. And this summer, we're believing for 750 people to make decisions to follow Jesus. And my question, my question, my question is when we talk about that, what does it do in your spirit? When as a church, we talk about seven, we're believing for 750 people these summer months, what does it do in your spirit? Is our response like, yeah, okay, that's cool. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they even stick around. What is our response? What, what is the response in our spirit when we talk about reaching the lost? Church, what I'm asking is, does the lost still compel us? When we give an altar call at the end of the service, which we will do today like we do every week, when we give an appeal for people to give their lives to Jesus, are we compelled to pray? Are we uncomfortable coming to church alone? Because we know and understand that we can bring anybody and everybody into the house of God. When we interact with the world, are we compelled to judge? Or are we compelled to pray, to minister, and to reach? And in case you are unaware, there is a desperate, hurting, dying world looking for the way. Exploring every other way that there is in life, waiting for the church to show them the way. I'll never forget, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and he told me, he said, Josh, I didn't find Jesus, I didn't find the way, until a friend of mine in college invited me to church and told me about Jesus. He said, Josh, I just think about all those regrets and consequences from decisions in high school and I don't, I'm not even going to say that I would have listened, but, but nobody told me. I didn't, I didn't even know that there, there was another way. I, Josh, I didn't know that it wasn't just a religious idea, but that there was a God in heaven, a Savior Jesus that died for my sin, that there was a solution for my sin, that he had saved me and that he had called me. He's, Josh, I, I now know that there were Christians in that high school that I went to and I had conversations with them and I just wish somebody to, at least told me about the way of Jesus. And I love that Paul says in this scripture, he says, church, 
We persuade others. We do everything that we can. Why? Because eternity matters. Because Jesus died for humanity. And it's not enough to just hope that our community will find the way. It is our mission. It is our responsibility to show and persuade the way of Jesus. And so I ask today, church, when was the last time that you showed someone the way? When was the last time that you persuaded somebody, not just with your words, but with your life? The ways of, of Jesus, church, are we, are, we, are we showing people the way of Jesus? Are we persuading with our words the love of Jesus? Are we persuading with our life the love of Jesus? There are 1.8 million people in Hampton Roads. I looked up the population again. 1.8 million people in Hampton Roads who are waiting, who are desperately searching and looking for the way of Jesus. 1.8 million people in Hampton Roads who are waiting for a church to get off of their seat on Sunday, and we need to be here. But when we leave, we get out of our seats and we show and we persuade the way of Jesus. 1.8 million people waiting for the church to be the church. May we be that church. May we be that church that isn't just confined to a holy huddle, but we understand the mission of Jesus Christ and his church to shine and share the good news of this gospel. Can I get an amen? Our job is to bring as many people to heaven with us as we can. Who are we bringing with us? We know one of the things we say here at Wave Church is we are here to give heaven a reason to party. And if we're not careful, we can think that only happens on Sunday. But we are here to give heaven a reason to party any day. I pray that when I get to heaven, that when we get to heaven, there are those that find us and say thank you. Are you a part of Wave Church? Yeah. I want to thank you. Because my brother, my sister, my friend, my mom, my dad, they live in Hampton Roads. And they're here today because you were really the church. Because you showed them and you persuaded them the way of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. The second thing that Paul brings to light is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Followers of the way leave behind sin. Now this seems obvious. But we struggle with this today in the same way that the Corinthian church also struggled. Paul says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. The Corinthian church had lost their way, living in sin, catch this, without repentance. And this is what they were doing. And this is where I found myself in my Christian walk, is I'm trying to claim Jesus, yet still claim my past. And yet Paul reminds us as followers of, of the way, we are a new creation. By the, by the grace of God, the old is, is gone. And so why is it so many Christians struggle with this today and also back then? Why is it that we, we often so struggle 
with leaving behind sin, I would suggest it's because we try to live the fixer-upper way. Instead of the way of Jesus. You say, what's the fixer-upper way? I don't know if you've ever seen the show Fixer-Upper. I'm a big fan. Chip and Joe, love them, don't know them. A bit of Magnolia, it's worth it. If you're not familiar with the show, these families, they buy a home that is a fixer-upper. It needs to be fixed up. So they buy this home and they consult with Chip and Joe and they begin to negotiate and talk about how they're going to remodel and and what rooms they're going to change and remodel and what budget they do and and don't have. And and somehow their budget to remodel a bathroom is what I use to fill up my truck with gas, but who's counting? And and they talk about the demo day and what they're going to, what's going to be demoed and what's going to be left behind. And And the problem is, is we think the gospel works this way. That we're going to invite Jesus into our heart and we're going to negotiate. And we're going to consult Jesus of what our remodel is, is going to look like. And we're going to suggest to him that we have a budget, yet Jesus reminds us he paid for all of it. We talk about demo day of what maybe he can change and what he can and what rooms he can touch and what rooms he, he, he can't touch. But the gospel of, of, of Jesus and the way of Jesus is bulldozing everything. All the old... And allowing Jesus to renovate and build a place in which he will live. It is not demo day, it's demo everything. Jesus, search my heart and make it clean. Paul reminds us the way is not leasing rooms to Jesus. The way is handing over the keys. Giving Jesus all ownership. I am a new creation by the work of the cross. And the old is gone by the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, and it is outworked by every day repenting. And it is outworked by every day renewing my mind. And every day handing over the keys to my Savior Jesus. And so a question I, I think worth asking today is where am I still trying to be landlord in my life? Where? Church, I'm with you. And how often I don't experience the fullness of this new creation because there are still rooms of sin and habits and ways of thinking that I don't want to let Jesus in. The last point is this, because I can tell you guys love that one. I'm going to read some scripture and then we're going to close. The bank can come on up. Y'all still with me? Paul says this, we're going to read it again. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. The grace of God that he would use me to make his appeal. That he would use us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The third thing that Paul reminds the Corinthian church where they have lost their way and he reminds them if they are a follower of the way, they are an ambassador for Christ. Did you know 
that every one of us, every one of us, we are ambassadors for Christ. And Paul reminds the Corinthian church, one of the consequences of getting off track is we forget the mission of the church. That we are representing Jesus and his church. And he is making his appeal through us. I've found it's difficult to effectively reach the world if we have the wrong message. And too often, when it comes to being ambassadors for Christ, I find myself and we find ourselves like my kids. I say, Josh, what do you mean? Something I've learned as a dad is that my children aren't the greatest ambassadors. Especially in conveying a message to one of their siblings that I've requested to be conveyed. And how often the message that I gave and the message that is conveyed and the message that is received is far different than the one that I gave. For example, this last week, walked downstairs past Locke. It's my two-year-old son, he's about to be three. He's in a phase where he doesn't like to wear clothes right now. So if you could pray for him. And so all he has on is a shirt and his monster truck. I'm like, hey Locke, you need to put your pants on. You need to leave your monster truck, come downstairs. We gotta get breakfast, get ready for summer wreck. I walk downstairs and Liv comes with me. Locke doesn't come downstairs. I said, okay, Liv, you're gonna be my ambassador because dad's really comfortable on this couch and I wanna get up. I need you to go upstairs. I need you to relay this message to Locke that he needs to put his pants on and he needs to leave behind the monster truck and come down and have breakfast. And I hear her run upstairs and I hear a conversation and Lachlan comes downstairs and now he's wearing nothing and he still has his monster truck. I said to Liv, Liv, this is the opposite of what I told you. Just this last week, we're in potty training. So if you could pray for our family and our household and just the peace of God to invade our home, I'd appreciate it. And Liv, she's, she's my potty training ambassador. And so Locke's still figuring this out. And so we have to ask him to continually, Locke, do you need to go to the bathroom? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Do you need to go to the bathroom? So we're at home and it was just me and the kids and, and I'm in the living room with Liv and, and, and Locke runs off and there's about 30 seconds of silence, which is way too long of silence for my son. Because he's either on the roof or he's about to shut down the power of the entire city and I don't know how he's gonna do it. I said, Liv, I don't know where Locke went. He doesn't have a diaper on. I need you to go ask him, does he need to go potty? Don't tell him to go potty. I will come help. Ask him, does he need to go potty? Okay, dad, I got it. She runs off. I hear this little conversation and then I just hear a scream, dad! There's poop! Well, that's, not, that's not the message. My first thought is, I, I hope he's wearing clothes. And I run in and he's wearing his clothes, but where is it? Dad, it's everywhere! Where? I look into the potty, it's not there. I look at him, it's not there. And it's all over the floor of the bathroom. First thing I said is, kids, we are not telling your mother about this incident. I looked at Liv, I said, Liv, it's, I didn't tell, it's not the message I told you to, to tell him. I, I didn't tell you to tell him to go to the bathroom, which is to ask if he needed to go to the bathroom and not do it here. 
how often I think God looks at his church. That, that's not the message that I gave you. And too often as the church, we get the message wrong and we go out into the world as ambassadors and our response to God is, God, it's a mess and it's everywhere. And God's response is simply, I know and I've called you to show people and point people to the one who can clean up their mess. I've called you to show the world that I can forgive them, that I've saved them from their sin and their shame. I've called the church to go into the mess, not run from the mess. Can I get an amen? To convey the message that God has reconciled us back to him. Church, what a humbling responsibility. What a humbling responsibility that God would make his appeal through us. Church, we have been given the greatest responsibility and that is carrying the most important message to humanity, to be ambassadors for this gospel. And God's message for his followers is clear, to be the light in the world, to shine and persuade and point people to Jesus. God appeals through his church the good news of this gospel that Jesus loves you that Jesus has saved you that Jesus has called you that he has reconciled you back to him and that there is a solution oh this message that there is a solution for our sin so as we close church I ask what message are we carrying the last thing Paul says, and we're done. And he says this to the church. Keep in mind, he doesn't say this to the unchurched. He says this to the church at the end. He says, we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That means there are those in the church that have taken a wrong turn and they've started playing church. And I've been there trying to live this casual Christian lifestyle forgotten that God has reconciled us fully back to him.